Welcome all to Stretch Podcast. I'm your host, Eugene Torrance, where our tagline is making a stretching difference. So we have our guest here today. This guy comes, you know, he's done a lot of things. He's been all over the place. He's taught a lot of people. So I'm going to give you all his pedigree before we get started. So his name is Dr. Todd Ridley. He's a certified chiropractor, sports practitioner, registered kinesiologist, a certified strength and conditioning specialist with over 20 years of sports medicine and sports performance training. In 2018, he was a part of the medical crew for the Nigerian Winter Olympics in South Korea. He's also an instructor for Factor, Dynamic Taping Seminars. He's a teacher. Uh, He teaches courses all over the world, and also he has a private practice in Legion's I'm sorry, Allegiance City, Texas. So welcome my guest, Dr. Todd Ritlos. It's my pleasure to be on. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you being here. So make sure, did I, did I say your last name right? You get Riddle, you got it. Okay, okay. Well, I appreciate it. I hate to butcher people's names because uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's not a good compliment, especially when, when they're guests when you show. So it's not a good thing. So I appreciate you being here again. Thank you. Nah, we're going to have a great time. This is going to be a good conversation. Oh, okay. Okay. Hey, so, so, so how are you, how are you doing with through this pandemic situation? How's it working out for you? Well, you know, kind of one of the fortunate things about being uh, an essential worker as a chiropractor, um, my, my time off of work was minimal. Um, but the, the good portion of what I also do is teaching to travel. So the live events were, were more or less shut down. So we did a pretty hardcore pivot to, online classes so we've taken a, a good many of the classes we normally teach, teach in a live fashion has now moved them to an online platform so we, we've been busy needless to say during the pandemic and you know feel very fortunate that we had that work to do so it's, it's been good everybody's been healthy no no complaints or concerns there we're just ready as a company to get uh, the world back open again and try to resume whatever normal is going to be for us i understand that as well i'm a therapist as well and I've not been able to work for a while either because, like I said, right. it's touching the close contact with people and the fear yeah. the fear factor. So what we're going to do is we're going to touch base on that uh, online presence that you're having right now that you're presenting mm-hmm. for the classes later on in the show. And we're mm-hmm. going to let people know that there's always ways to be a student in your craft and continue your education, which is very, That's very, exactly right. very important. It's essential. And, and what we're doing is day and age when we're helping people and people are experiencing all this anxiety and stress that's going on. And we want to make sure that there's a practitioner out there that's able to help the next person move forward. That's it. You got it right there. Okay. So let's talk about this. Now, me being a therapist, and I work with a lot of people, and I, people sometimes they're ignorant. And I say ignorant has been dumb, but they're just naive to what's going on and what it takes to keep the body functioning. So mm-hmm. my, the big, 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 concern, big question I get from a lot of my clients, and I tell them, why they get injured? Why they get injured? I'm sorry. Why they get injured? And they don't believe me. I'm like, this is the reason for your pain. This is the reason for this. But it hurts here. I'm like, that's not where it come from. It's satellites. So I want you to give me, from your perspective, you've been a chiropractor, training all these type of modalities and services. What do you? What is your take on why do we get injured? And, and that's such a broad, sweeping question. There. I mean, we could probably pick out at least 10 different reasons why people are constantly getting injured. But I think the, the best kind of umbrella answer that I have for that is we, we get injured when our body is incapable or cannot manage load, external load that comes into the body. So that could be something as simple as you bent forward to pick a basket up off of the ground that was full of laundry and you had done it in a, a uh, poor posture, but you've done it so many times that you'd weakened the body or that area to the point where it can no longer accept the load that you just put on it with that basket. I mean, that's a simple everyday example. But then when you switch this over to athletics, they've been accepting load for so long that their body just begins to break down. We call that an overuse injury. And the tissue has become unstable. It's become weak and it can no longer accept whether it's the load that we're putting on it through running or jumping or climbing or whatever the, the activity is to 
you know, strength training or getting tackled. It, it all entirely depends upon what the person's activity is. But my broad-based answer is the body was not resilient enough to accept that load that was coming into it. So that's, that's kind of my simple answer. Then you could start to break down why we get injured and then re-injured. And there's plenty of reasons why we get re-injured. Again, the body was still not after the injury resilient enough. So maybe we didn't do the exercise or the rehab to get us back up to normal terms or normal standards or even better than normal so that we could, and I don't like to use the word prevention because it's really tough to prevent injuries. I like the word resilience mm -hmm. to make ourselves more resilient against injury. So a lot of times what I see with uh, train my training clients or with my, my patients is uh, they had a time like COVID is a perfect example of a time right now where a lot of people were not able to get to the gym. They didn't have the, the understanding or the foresight or the know-how to do home workouts. And now they're just crushing. They're chomping at the bit to get back to the gym. And they're thinking that when they go back to the gym after a two-month layoff, that their body is going to be ready to accept the workouts that they were doing prior to, to COVID. So uh, I think we're going to see a pretty sharp rise in injury post-COVID as people start to transition back to activity because they think that their body is in a place where it was prior to all of this happening. I think that's a good example of, of where we're at and, and that kind of also discusses some of the psychology of injury as well, that we think we can do something that we can't. It's that old cliche that you're, you know, your, your brain is writing checks that your body can't cash. Uh, and that's really what this comes down to is just being able to accept uh, external load. And you know what? I do agree with you because I have been in the gym in a while, and sometimes I'm here to miss because <laughs> I get really busy. And I went back to the gym yesterday for the first time in a very long time. I understand going full, full force because I used to bodybuild, and, yeah. and just going in, just hitting it, just hitting it, getting the sword out of the way. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting older. I'm not doing it no more. So I went in there instead of lifting. 45 pounds bench press. I was doing 25 pounds on each side. Exactly. Because it doesn't make any sense. As long as you're contracting that muscle and holding the pause to getting the movement, blood flow there, that's all, that's, that's all that's necessary. Yeah. We all have to remember that, you know, there's, there's no reason to be a hero when we return back to the, to our activities. And it's not just weight training. I, I actually got in a first full weight training workout uh, three days ago and I went light. I was just trying to really get more form and reps in than I was trying to do anything significant. And I'm, I'm still three days later now a bit sore from that workout. And that just reinforces that I'm my, my mindset that I'm glad I did not try to go heavy right back into it. Otherwise I could have very well injured myself because I wouldn't have been ready to accept that. But uh, yeah, this doesn't pertain to just strength training. I mean, uh, we've got a lot of people that are runners, they're cyclists, they're swimmers and they're the, all of these activities, they require a, a level of conditioning and it requires progressive overload, not just jumping right into it. So this isn't just for your, your, your weightlifters, your bodybuilders, your, you know, your high intensity trainers, it's for anybody to do an activity. Let, you know what, let me ask this question. Uh, yeah. Now the importance, I know we're both not nutrition. I'm not, I don't have no background in, I just know a little bit of something about something because I read something. Mm -hmm. So now with all that said, now nutrition has to play a big part in this and also to yeah. your, your, your mindset. So it goes into what is pain to a person and how they view it. And sometimes people see pain as psychological, mm -hmm. you know, I touch you. Oh, that hurts so bad. Some people have certain uh, disorders in their body that cause them to kind of, that touches kind of radiates pain. It depends on what, disease, not saying disease, autoimmune you have that causes mm -hmm. you to feel that way. So, you know, what what part does that play and how important is that is to a person that's sitting at home for COVID-19, not working out, ain't been in the gym forever, and now you want to go back and go full force. So we got to understand the supplementation needs to be involved in that too. So that, that needs to be a part of the, the whole process too, shouldn't it? Well, yeah, and it's kind of funny if you've been watching, you know, any of the the, the good news, I'll call it, the, the reputable news sources that are turning out information, um, they've been reporting on a very sharp rise in the consumption of basically what we'll call junk food. Yep. You know, your, your potato chips, your nacho chips, desserts, uh, highly processed foods. Um, there was an article I was reading the other day that, that food companies or 
or subsidiaries of food companies like your, your chip companies that have traditionally just kind of flattened out as far as their sales go, saw a very sharp rise uh, while we were all sheltered in place at home. So it's just, it's a, another poor example, honestly, a, a testament to how people were thinking during the pandemic that they were really, many people, I'm not saying all, but many people were really more just trying to comfort themselves through the consumption of food and oftentimes resort over to foods that taste good, high fat, high sugar, high salt. And as we know that those types of foods can be very inflammatory to the body. Mm -hmm. And it really, on top of a lack of movement, on top, on top of uh, the potential of, of contracting a virus that would definitely wreck your immune system, we place ourselves at significant risk for not only making ourselves sick, but also significant risk of injury because we weren't fueling ourselves with the things that the body needs to keep itself healthy, but then to regenerate and repair once we start those activities over. So it's, it's massively important that we're, we're taking in uh, the, the adequate nutrition. And we all slipped a little bit. I mean, I know that I got a little bit crazy sometimes as we started to get deeper and deeper into the the shelter at home. And then as I started to notice that I was gaining some weight, I was feeling lethargic. That's when I had to make a pivot and get back into what I knew was healthy for me. I started getting back on my, my supplements. I started going back to my, you know, whole food plant-based diet, started cutting back on some of the other junk that we were buying. So, uh, and I, and I did see a noticeable shift in my overall psyche and the clarity of my brain and just kind of how my body functioned. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. There's there's a huge aspect there that I think a lot of people were just like, man, we're we're you know we're on lockdown. I'm gonna eat whatever I want, and I'll just deal with it afterwards. And to some to some degree, I'll say that psychologically, that's healthy. That means you're just kind of you're being a little bit introspective. Now, if you went overboard with it, that's not so healthy. But if you're taking a little bit of me time and using this as I think a lot of people did as a little bit of recovery, yeah. then that's not such a, a such a bad thing. And I'm certainly not trying to make a broad-based generalization about how people were able to relax and, and unwind during this crisis. There have been a lot of people that this, this put them on, you know, high alert as far as financially, yep. as far as their jobs go. So, you know, this has been different for all people. But at the end of the day, you know, whatever situation we're in, you know, proper nutrition is absolutely crucial. Yeah, and, and like I said, it's important. So it goes into our, our next conversation. It's like, what is pain? And, and like I said, yeah. pain, pain and, like I said, and when you deal with nutrition and when you deal with it, your body can, can see pain differently because sometimes it's neurological and sometimes it has to do with mental health, mental wellness. You have You're on. exactly right. And You're exactly right. And that's how your body processes that. And then uh -huh. does, does the, you know, when you get injured, are you really injured or are you just a pity party? And you don't know how to deal with this, this, this awkwardness in your body that you have not never experienced before, especially when you've been sheltered at home, you're forced to do this. You've been, what's it called? You've been, was it limited? You in the house, you like a, a yeah. couch potato, not doing anything really. You get depressed. Everything else goes into it. So my next, so when you go back to the gym and start working out, guess what happens? You can't go all in. No, and you shouldn't be going all in. Well, and we have to, you know, consider what the definition of pain is there because you were already touching on that. You know, pain is basically um, an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience yeah. that is generally associated with either physical damage to the body or perceived damage. And what you were saying there is very, very true. There's that emotional component and the perception of damage when damage really isn't there. And we can, we can go into a variety of different directions with that one, but like, we can stick right now to the example we've been using that the emotional pain of perceived damage. So that worry that so many millions of people have been experiencing, like, when am I going to get to go back to work? Is my job going to be there? How am I going to feed my family? All of these different things can manifest themselves inside of the body as pain, even though there was no actual physical damage done to the body. Nothing was broken, nothing was sprained, nothing was strained. It's our brain's interpretation that the body is under threat, and therefore it puts the entire being on high alert by creating pain. And I see this time and time and time again in clinic where there's no physical damage to somebody. They may have had an injury, let's call it 10 years ago, 
And now they're in a chronic pain cycle where there's, you, you could look at an x-ray or an MRI and find nothing on those images to explain why that person is experiencing pain. But then you dig a little bit deeper into what's going on with them in their daily life. There's psychological stuff there. There's, they're stressed about their job. Maybe they're stressed about their marriage or a relationship. Uh, you know, maybe they've got a big move coming up. Maybe somebody has died. It, there's so many different ways that we get stressed out and all of those things can manifest themselves as pain. So we're, you know, I think we're probably as the world starts to open back up again, going to see a lot of people coming out of their, their homes from, from shelter and, um, going to be a little bit different people. They're going to be a little, maybe, you know, a little bit more sullen, a little bit more sad, um, and that's why there's been such a push for, you know, friends to check in on friends while they're in isolation, because that can be a very psychologically detrimental thing. But from a, a manual therapy standpoint, you know this as well, that when people come in, you know, they're just in a lot of pain, but there's, well, what happened? They're like, I don't know, nothing happened. It's just I've been stressed out at work and my back's killing me and my, my getting headaches all the time now. And it had nothing to do with any physical damage. So. I think that's a big component that gets missed both in the healthcare world, but also it's a big component that gets missed by the people that are experiencing that pain. Yeah. They get frustrated. They get upset because they can't figure out why they're hurt in the first place or why they're in pain in the first place because nothing happened. And, you know, and when we start to really become introspective, uh -huh. we start to notice like, you know, I only get low back pain when, you know, I go to work and my boss comes around or I only get headaches when, uh, you know, I go to school and I sit in this one class because I don't, you know, I feel intimidated by the professor. Or I feel intimidated by the, by the, the students in the class. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting when we start to look at it like that. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I was going to get to that point when I think you touched base on that, because when we see people uh, in your background and my background, mm -hmm. their pain is necessarily in their body and doesn't mean they're really injured, but you got to get down to the core. It's not like you got to do some mental uh, you got to ask questions. You got to probe a little more because if I ask, I'm with a client and they say they come in with a back problem or hip problems, and and I have to ask them what do they do for a living, and that's the question. Then I ask them how is their stress level at home. So I ask them a lot of different questions that doesn't have anything to do with their problem, but to understand how they're living their lives and what's changed for them drastically to kind of help them walk them through why they're where they're at and how to govern this situation to kind of handle the tools to be successful on their own so now we got this pandemic some of us can't touch people so we got to be able to That's communicate right. with them and explain to them but they have to be self-aware and educated in enough in a, in a, to a point to take care of the situation on their own and that's why i think we're going to see a big shift in a lot of the work that we do as healthcare practitioners a lot of my colleagues have gone into telehealth where they're you know, taking patient visits online over the phone mm -hmm. as opposed to in person. And now they're having to do exactly what you said. They're having to explain to a patient, hey, we should take into consideration that, you know, perhaps that you're getting a reoccurrence in your pain because of the the anxiety from being on in social isolation. Maybe you're sitting too much on your couch. Maybe, you know, you should get... Uh, consider getting up and going out into the street and walking up and down your street. Or if you can't go out of your house, go walk or, you know, do laps around your house, walk up and down the stairs, do something. But, you know, either way, there are basically three components right now that are very popular when it comes to trying to explain why people have pain. And it's called the BPS model, the bio psycho social. So there's the biological aspect, which is what most of us think is what the cause of pain is. I cut myself and therefore I get pain. Or I twisted my ankle and therefore I get pain. That's one component. There's the psychological component as we've been talking about where stress, anxiety is the, the cause of the pain or the emotional distress of a prior injury is there. And that's kind of what keeps that pain cycle going. And then the last part we've also been kind of talking about is that social side. It's the things that you're doing on an everyday basis. Like I said, you know, what kind of job do you do? Uh, what, what foods are you eating? Are you taking any medications, over-consuming alcohol? Let's mm -hmm. talk about your exercise routines, yep. the things that you're doing. on every So you, you accumulate all of those things together, and now you have this, um, this idea, you know, I'll call it a paradigm of, of why someone can be experiencing pain. And the thing is, is 
none of them are ever, ever equal. You know, if we look at these as three different bubbles, the bio, the psycho, and the social, those bubbles are different sizes for different people. And even within, you know, for you, you could, you could have experienced an injury during a lift and there was a biological injury. But then as that biological part started to heal and go away, there could be the psychological part where now you're afraid to do that lift again. And every time you do that lift, you get pain, even though there's nothing wrong, you're just yep. feeling anxiety about it. Mm -hmm. And therefore on the social side, you know, maybe you are over consuming bad foods because you're feeling bad about the whole thing. Maybe you're gaining a little bit of weight. Maybe you're getting inflamed. So it's kind of, there's this dynamic between these three or between these three, uh, these three pieces that changes with every person. It's almost, you know, from a healthcare standpoint, like trying to hit a moving target, yeah. trying to help someone through their pain. And you know what? I want to add this to it too, especially when you do have pain or you do experience the energy injury, scar tissue mm -hmm. builds up. And also too, yep. it's kind of hard to kind of get control of scar tissue because once that muscle is damaged, it has to restructure itself. You got to do, go through a whole process of getting that muscle functional again, but you're right. thinking taking supplements are going to help you. But if your body is not <laughs> functional and the muscles are not neurologically working for you and there's roadblocks that depletes nutrition to certain areas, because in any case we will all be, you know, nutrition would take care of everything. It doesn't work that yeah. way. You got to go through, you got to take on certain services to kind of help you, understand why you have it, how we can help this tissue, this, this nerve, these, these joints become functional again so you can receive the nutrition that you put in your body that can aid to help recover these areas that kind of help you move forward. So mm -hmm. now my next question that we're going to is, I understand, I know you have a, uh, you, have a uh, you teach factor and dynamic table. Mm -hmm. Let's talk mm -hmm. about factor. What is factor? Okay. So factor stands for functional and kinetic treatment with rehabilitation. And, uh, I always pause after I say that to really, uh, focus on that kinetic part of treatment, which means that factor is entirely about movement and it's important in integrating into any exercise or rehabilitation routine. Uh, I'm, I'm very big fan of trying to teach that my rehabilitation programs very oftentimes look like exercise programs. So factor is about taking someone who has an apparent injury or an obvious injury and calming that injury down. And there are a variety of ways that we go about that. So factor is not a technique, it's a system. And part of that system is when somebody comes to one of our practitioners, let's say they're coming to me and I've got somebody that's sitting in front of me with um, a knee injury. It's, it's an obvious acute knee injury. I'm going to take the time to calm that knee injury down while at the same time figuring out, well, was there something that predisposed that person to that knee injury in the first place okay. and working with the knee injury while also trying to work with the rest of that person's body. So we're teaching about how to uh, discuss the psychological side of an injury. We're teaching people how to deal with the biology of the injury. So, this knee injury, we may address it with doing some instrument-assisted soft tissue manipulation. And I'm being, being, being very general about the injury. Of course, there are some injuries that we would not deal with. We, we mainly live in the, the musculoskeletal or the neuromusculoskeletal world mm -hmm. when it comes to factor. Um, so we may use instrumentation such as um, the, the metal instruments that uh, many people are familiar with. Uh, we may use cupping. We could use compression bands. We have a lot of body workers and massage therapists that come through. So we talk about hands-on techniques. So uh, really, it's whatever they show up to at class with. We will try to show how to plug those techniques into the system, all while still teaching some, some newer techniques. Okay. And I want to be very clear that those, those initial kind of calm-down techniques, those acute techniques, even subacute should be lasting for a brief period of time. And I want to make this very clear because I think a lot of people are under this impression that, you know, instruments need to be used throughout the entire process of cups. And no, they're a tool and they serve a time and a place. And that time is, is fairly short. Okay. I usually like to say that I would generally like people to begin transitioning away from passive treatments and into more movement-based or active treatments within three 
three weeks. Some are going to be a lot less. Some are going to be a bit more. That's going to be very case dependent. But I'd like to see passive treatments start to trickle away at that three-week mark mm-hmm. so that we can start instituting movement. But movement is the big key here. And that's what Factor really focuses on is using an assessment to choose the right, I'll call it the calm-down tool, okay, to get, get stuff under control, that pain and that inflammation to a manageable level for that patient so that we can start into an active care program because that's where the good stuff, that's where the magic happens. Our body starts to remodel itself. You were talking about scar tissue. So that knee injury, if it's got any kind of scar tissue, it's the sequential and progressive load that we put into that knee that's actually going to help the muscles, the ligaments, the tendons, the skin, the fascia remodel itself under that load. We are genetically, we are DNA-driven to want to move and it's when we stop moving that our body starts to essentially die it, it basically just starts to seize up it gets stiff we atrophy and we start to go away mm-hmm. so it's a very easy thing to see that we're designed to move yep. and that's what exercise requires so that's what we're teaching in our faster classes how to calm something down and then how to restore that function restore that strength and get people back to whatever their body's going to let them do and, and you know what? And I'm going to say this. I think I've said it before on one of my shows. I've watched people train. I don't think, you know what? I don't, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. And like I said, yeah. my background is massage therapy. I've been licensed for a long time. That's not something I was interested in doing because I'm not mm-hmm. interested in reveling about it. That's only me. Now, I was interested in the mechanics of the body and how it works. I'm, right. I'm, I consider myself a physical engineer when it comes to the body wise. <laughs> I'm always thinking of ways of how to solve a problem. And that's, yep. the, I, I kind of see it as though, uh, it's like an out-of-body experience. You look at the anatomy, how it runs, how the muscles move, how they contract, what are the synergies, how to you – no, know, I look at it that way, and that goes back to watching people work with other people. I don't think they really quite understand their craft, or they're not, they're not really interested in learning more, and a lot of people not read. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand because I see people out there doing things. I'm like, these people are paying you for your time. They're coming to see. They're seeking you. You are deceiving them and taking their money. The laws of the universe yeah. comes back on you in that situation. Like, hey, you're not serving your purpose, and 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 that's and that's crazy because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Why do this yeah. anyway? And 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 then also too, people take shortcuts. Same thing when I just they said do. the tools that you're talking about. And I'm gonna give a little history about me. I researched and met Dr. Todd and I found him online because a friend of mine told me about him. My friend said, Hey, you should take this factor class. Like, what is a factor? I said, it's, it's, it's like grasping, but it's not grasping. I said, well, I know what grasping is, but I'm like, she said, no, it's not grasping. It's different. It's factor. I'm like, I'm like, what? Okay. I said, okay, let me take this class. So I, I call, I research the information about y'all watch videos online. And I, and I like the methodology that you all, you know, that y'all put in place. It's really detailed. You have to know your anatomy. You have to know your anatomy before you go in and working on people. And what y'all stand for as a brand, uh, a service, a course, it's, it's, it's something that I think people should take advantage of to learn more on how to function of the body. And along with that, too, I, had a, I, I took your class twice. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I took your class twice. Not saying I didn't know it, but I know that the second time's a charm, sometimes the third time's a charm. And also, too, I learned taping. I was against taping. I'm like, what? I was against taping until I took your class. And I thought, yeah. it's like a Band-Aid. I'm like, what is that working? But when I took your class, I learned a lot about taping. So I have a, a new respect for factor and also dynamic taping. So I want you to explain to the people it, what's different about dynamic taping than versus other taping out there. And it, there's a different reason. So I want you to explain. Oh, there so are. You, so, there you are. Do, so you can do it justice. I can't do it justice. So well, there's, there's something, yeah, there's something there you talked about that I just want to touch on briefly is Factor was started roughly about 15 years ago, and it, it stemmed from um, our co-founder's experience with Grafton. So, they, it, you know, I can see why people think that this is just another instrument-related course, but you've already touched upon it. Factor is not Grafton. Um, there are some components of instrumentation in there, but we cover a lot of different stuff. So it is different. But um, we're continually innovating. We're continually, so the, the, the factor class of 15 years ago is very different to the factor class we're doing now and then the ones that we'll be doing in three or four years uh, and, and moving forward. So um, dynamic tape was one of those 
innovations that we added in. It is not our own tape. It's actually a, a tape um, that was founded in, and um, uh, kind of came to life in Australia, which is why it has kind of a neat uh, designs to it. But basically, if you look at tape, and I, I, you know, I hear a lot of people say the same thing you did. Tape is a Band-Aid. Uh, it's a placebo. Uh, what does it actually do? You know, if you look at the spectrum of tape, um, on, you know, on the left side, you could have what I call kinesiology tape. Um, and then on the right side, we have what we would consider our rigid or our athletic tapes, which could be like white athletic tape or leuco tape, shoot, even duct tape I've, I've used to help um, manage joint control. But then there was nothing to kind of bridge that gap in between. So when dynamic tape came along, it was kind of the marriage of those two. So you've got stretchy tape on the left. You've got rigid tape on the right, but you had nothing that was kind of acting like both in the middle. And that's kind of the best way that I can describe dynamic tape. It, it actually is a part of a category of tape called biomechanical tape, which I think is an adequate description of what it's attempting to do, which is change joint position and change joint mechanics. And anybody that's used tape for a long time understands that that's, that's a tough thing to do with an elastic tape. Kinesiology tape, for the most part, is not designed to do that. It's, it's basically designed for body awareness, proprioception, and can, to some extent, separate fascial layers to help create better lymphatic drainage, better mm -hmm. blood flow. So that's basically what it does on that end. Obviously, on the far end, your, your rigid tapes are basically meant to block motion. So if you've got a sprained ankle or don't want to get a sprained ankle, a lot of times you'll use a rigid tape to stop range of motion. But that's not well, what dynamic, yeah. So, so what dynamic tape does is kind of meets right there in the middle. So the, the primary use that we use dynamic tape for factors to become a, a supportive therapeutic intervention for somebody that maybe has pain with a motion or has needs a little bit of extra support, but we still want to allow for motion, that's what dynamic tape is good for. So it literally will offload kilos of weight from a damaged tissue, from an injured joint. Uh, it will change joint position. There is a lot of research that has currently come out about dynamic tape. Um, and these are randomized controlled trials that show how by changing the position of the joint with the use of the tape, we get better biomechanics. And as a positive secondary effect, we can change someone's pain profile because now they're in a more appropriate position to move and that pain begins to go away. That, you know, that makes sense to practitioners. But a lot of people up to this point didn't think that tape was able to do that. And that's only because people have been using the different varieties of tapes in the yeah. wrong way. Yeah. The wrong, the hard, you know, the crazy ones with the, because like I said, if your ankles are off, why would you restrict your ankle? Cause it makes a tangent, the tendons, the ligaments right. not functional, but you need it to actually be tuned to move somewhat because once you step a long time, there's a, you're injured again, have a problem. So I do like yeah. dynamic taping because you have that versatility of having support and still be able to, the function and I and my example I can use for people out there is like offloading. So if you're doing a squat mm -hmm. with a band to catch you, you're doing you know the the band is holding the bar up, so the weight is there. So when you squat down, you got descent, descent. So basically, it offloads the weight, so your body can actually still function and move the movement, the weight, do the movement, but still get and also get the benefit of growth from it and recovery, right. and they'll still you know and still be safe and. And, maintain your and, that's a, and that's a great way to describe it because several of our taping techniques are actually called offload techniques. Yeah. Uh, and that's because during the eccentric portion of, of a movement or of a tape application, as that muscle lengthens, that tape, which has very significant viscoelastic properties, begins to stretch and the tape begins to accept or dis redistribute some of that load, that, yeah. that eccentric load, back into other parts of tissue, almost acting like muscle or fascia would do. So it's, it's been a revolutionary uh, concept, both from my personal private practice, but then also from the teachings that we have within our factor classes. It's become another nice way to supplement um, therapeutic interventions that have become very helpful. I've just seen, you know, time after time after time after I've applied this tape, 
that we get some pretty remarkable change. I don't like to use the term miraculous. It's not good because I can explain for the most part what's going on. Uh, I see some pretty remarkable changes once we can change load distribution. And that's what dynamic tape is all about. And that goes back to your initial question. Why do people get injured? They get injured because they can't handle load. So this gives us a way to help someone with potentially injured tissue or injured tissue to help manage that load. You know what? I'm going to ask another question. So with that said, I'm thinking the whole time you're talking that you're taping and you have offloaded. So basically what that would do is encourage you to activate certain muscles in your body. So an example, so if you have a problem with your ankles, you got your Achilles tendons not functional, longest brevis, your gastroc and everything is there. So if you have a problem with your Achilles, that can have something to do with your tibia. So if you're taping certain areas that allow the offload to the area and it allows a more of an active activation of that muscle that's not being supported. That's not that's not being functional. Is that is that correct? Yes. So basically that's why we call it biomechanical tape, again, okay. because you're trying to affect the biomechanics. Okay. So we're not just about putting tape over an area that hurts. We're trying to figure out up the kinetic chain or down the kinetic chain what positions do I have to change or improve utilizing the tape to maximize the use of that kinetic chain to try to restore as much useful movement as possible. Uh, I have a colleague of mine uh, as a chiropractor, I believe he was the one that said this, Dr. Craig Levinson, that said, what we're trying to do is create a positive experience with movement. Pain is not a positive experience with movement. When we're in pain, we generally don't want to move. Okay, we call that fear avoidance. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly trying to seek techniques or applications that allow me to get that positive experience with movement. So just as you were saying, if I can tape somebody in such a way that one, it changes the biomechanics of that area, but it also allows that person to feel like, well, now I'm able to move these other parts. Maybe I can activate these other muscles. We can now start to work on strength. We can now start to work on accuracy of movement. We can start to work on proprioception because now they're not focused on the pain. They're focused on the quality of the movement. Yep, you know what? And I, I had a client that worked with at a company that I was servicing, and the guy had scapular issues. His shoulders were fully rotated all the time. So he worked at the office desk. So what I did, and he had a standing desk. I added that to it too. So I'm like, I'm like, dude, we're not robots. We're gonna, we're gonna lean. Posture <laughs> gonna be all. We're gonna do all this stuff. So I'm not gonna say anything about the about the situation, but I'm gonna say that I taped him. His shoulders came back. He said the next day, his rhomboids is. His, I mean, his mid back was on fire, and he had no neck problems. So yeah. it was, it was on fire. He's like, dude, what did you, what did you? I'm saying, all I did was brought you back. You would and fully rotated, internally rotated. I externally, I rotate you differently. So basically, it changed the fascia, how your body was able to deal with the pain you were dealing with on a day to day basis. Because it was just simple. It was just simple, simple math and one plus one. So the taping is very important. And my next question goes into. They selling tape at the stores, academy. Everybody's selling tape. Yeah, you you, you got to have some kind of net. You got to have some kind of background on how to use this product. You know, it's it's like the like the Theraguns they put out there. Everybody can buy <laughs> Theragun. You can't yeah. use Theragun on one spot of your body for such a long. You, that's not it's not practical. Why would you sell guns, loaded <laughs> loaded tanks to people and just you, you know where I'm going Let with this. I do. No, I, so, and, you know, I have a, a bit of a love-hate relationship with that because, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a capitalist, so I understand wanting to sell products. But you're right, there's a responsibility for those that sell products to make sure that the things that we're putting out there end up in the right hands. Um, tape is no different. Now, obviously, the risk of harm with tape is relatively low. Uh, the majority of the things that I've seen with that application would be rashes. You know, every now and then you may get a blister from putting it on wrong. Um, for the most part, it's not life-threatening unless you have an allergic reaction to the adhesive that's in the tape. And, um, you know, you can have the, the reactions. But to, to my knowledge, I, I can't think of a time I've ever heard of somebody going anaphylactic. So, um, but, but to your point, yeah, the tapes that you can buy commercially – uh, you know, at your local um, convenience store, at a drug store, or at your local sporting goods store, um, 
it's been my experience that on the whole, those tapes just do not stay on well. No, uh, the adhesive, yeah, the adhesive is a bit different. It's not quite as um, strong. It does not stay on well. But then also, and back to your original point, if you don't understand how to put the tape on, that's user error for why it won't stay on well in the first place. So, you know, I want to give these tape companies a little bit of credit that maybe the, the adhesive is sufficient and untrained people are taking this tape and trying to put it on um, and they're not quite seeing the results they want to get from it. And that's why, you know, right now, dynamic tape, while commercially available, you're not going to find it in box stores. If you want to order it, you're going to have to order it online. You're still running the risk of poor poor application. But like oftentimes in my instance, if somebody doesn't want to pay the, the charge that I have marked up to cover my cost of time and my cost of materials, they can defray a bit of their own cost by buying the tape and then bringing it to me and then I will apply it. So I try to give a little bit of leeway and that's one of the ways that I try to take people's finances into consideration is you know, it may save them a couple of bucks at the end. And if that feels good to them, great. I'm happy to do it. Um, but yeah, this tape is different in the way that it's manufactured. It's, a, it's elastic and uh, lycra, or rather nylon and lycra. That gives it a very elastic type feel. It's got a very smooth texture. Mm-hmm. Um, it stretches in four directions as opposed to two. So it's, it's really, I, I try to tell people, it's almost like taping a TheraBand to your body. The, the ter- TheraBand has enough tension in it to actually give you support and some some biomechanical uh i don't want to call it advantage but offload yeah i got you i got you i agree with you like i yeah. said i just I, I just never understood it and it's just you know it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just me I'm, i may be looking at it closely and just analyzing it too much so you know it, that's it is what it is so it's and, good that you think it's through like that though because a lot of people just they see something and they're attracted to it. You know, they, they see that 10 of their colleagues went to take this class and, um, you know, maybe the class was great. Maybe the class was terrible and they're just implementing it because, you know, everybody else is doing it, not thinking it through like you are. So, I'm, you know, that's good. I think a, a lot of practitioners should take more time to dissect stuff like that. Yeah. So, and now, now, so we, so it was taping in factor for me being your mm-hmm. class, they went hand in hand. So, yes. let you know, so, so the, the they complement each other really well because as you're taping someone, you can do factors. So that, 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 let's get into that. How do we recover from, I guess I'll give an example. Uh, I'll give a lat problem. I, I think a lat problem mm-hmm. is easy. Or or you can go as far as saying the calf issue. I think we yeah. dealt with some of that in class too as well. So which which so which 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 one do you want to give an example of how both of you know, let's let's go with a calf because okay. that's a big part of the kinetic chain. So, um, you know, for instance, I, I, I have athletes that I work with that get a, an Achilles tendinopathy, okay, a calf muscle problem. Um, and it's the, the place that I need to start first is, and we really drive this home with our factor practitioners, is you have to have a good medical history, which means you have to know something about the person that's sitting in front of you. You know, what are their past injuries? You have to know what their health status is, age, vitals, all that stuff. So you want to collect all of that information because it starts to give you an in-depth look into why that person may be having a calf problem in the first place. A lot of people don't know that there are certain antibiotics that we can take that can cause a calf problem in in the form of an Achilles rupture. So that's why it's important to understand some of the medical history as medications weigh into this as well. Um, after you have that history, you need to have a, a, a whatever your assessment is. And our factor classes are geared towards the diagnostic practitioner and the non-diagnostic practitioner. So we're not trying to get into the diagnosis of condition and factor because we have people, we know that we have people that come to class that that's not in their scope of practice. They just need to help someone that's already been diagnosed. But that doesn't mean that you don't have the uh, responsibility to do your own assessment of sorts and that could be something as simple as a movement assessment okay something like the selective functional movement assessment or the fms the functional movement um screen but something needs to be done and the reason that we have to do that is movement doesn't lie and if you can look at someone's movement and poor or deficient or dysfunctional movement whatever word you want to use there 
is associated with that calf injury, then it starts to become a little bit easier for you to sort out why that calf injury is there in the first place. So I'll give this example. There was an athlete that I was working with that was dealing with some calf problems. And if I'm only focused on the calf problem, then all of my treatment is going to be geared towards the calf. But in his instance, through an assessment, we were able to to find out that he was actually experiencing some significant um, problems with his feet in the terms of weakness and activation of the intrinsic muscles of his feet. So while we did focus some of our attention on his calf, trying to calm that down, a lot of our rehab was focused on reinstituting some strength and some good movement into his, into his feet. So where we are treating this with factor is do the assessment, find out where the actual problem is, not just where it hurts. I like to use the term victims and villains. The victim is what hurts. In this case, it would be the calf. And then, um, the, the the same example, the villain would be the feet in that one particular instance. It could be an ankle. It could be a knee. It could be a hip. But the key here is with factor, we try to help practitioners disseminate what hurts from what's actually driving the problem. And then we utilize a variety of different techniques to address that. Again, it could be instrumentation. It could be cups, hands-on, floss. If you're into blood flow restriction training, we talk a bit about that mm-hmm. too. It's about you. You come to the table with whatever techniques you have that we talk about how to institute them so that you can get someone moving again. So you can get them doing exercise and, and segmental or, or um, um, sequential overload uh, over the course of time. You know, so we, that's, that's really what we're about. And, and that's true, too, because I do like the, the uh, blood flow uh, technique did we did in the class and I yeah. and I see this though it's kind of crazy I'm gonna analyze this the best way I can is when you restrict blood flow for a certain period of time and I'm I'm gonna I'm gather all the information in my head by delivering this yeah. that your mind has a the, the oxygen the red red blood cells and white blood cells has a certain kind of nutrition nutrients that goes mm-hmm. into this so as you restrict so it's like this like a, a whole a army of soldiers ready to combat and fight and take, you know, take down whatever's going on in your body and they're armed with the proper nutrition, vitamins and minerals, proper oxygen, uh, water, whatever. And that, that once you release it, everything just floods down and kind of help to kind of assist and everybody, everybody damage tissues and muscles. I'm, I don't know if they're making any sense now of that. that you know, it does. You know, in, you know in, in my own crude way to describe this, it's a bit like flushing the toilet. You know, when you do a restriction like that, you're basically flushing out the stuff. So when we restrict flow to an area using a band, so we use the bands in class. We don't use the the newer technology with the actual blood flow cuffs, but um, it, it's still a, a form of that. So when we restrict blood flow, we're actually doing a variety of different things from a soft tissue standpoint. We're forcing those fascial layers to glide, and the research is bearing this out pretty well, that when we can force loose layers of fascia to glide better that we see decreases in pain so that's one thing that we're getting there um, when we restrict blood flow we're stopping the flow of inflammatory mediators into an area that don't necessarily need to be there and i'm not talking about stopping the flow of acute inflammation or inflammatory mediators during an acute injury what i am saying is that if it's been there for a long time and we had a chronic inflammation that this is a good way to kind of throw jumper cables on that and restart a normal process by flushing that stuff out of there. And quite frankly, we already know this too, that when we can move a joint, that we're going to start restoring proper proprioception. We're going to start the process of regeneration. So it's been my experience with the with um, the floss or the decompression bands that we're talking about here in, in the terms of blood flow restriction that you know, we're getting some good soft tissue treatment. We're getting some psychological change because when you put the bands on appropriately and they start to move their calf or their knee, uh, their elbow, their shoulder, and it doesn't hurt to move, now they're encouraged to exercise. And so now we're doing that positive uh, experience with movement again. So, you know, it really does a nice job of covering the biological part of the treatment and the psychological part of the treatment because. You, you really do want to move once the stuff's on. Yeah, and, and that's true, too. And I, I see people at the gym putting those wraps on their arm. I'm like, 
and they're trying to lift this. I'm like, you need to have someone teach you how to do this. I don't think a, I don't think a video, in my opinion, I don't think a video is trained enough to teach you what's going on because there's certain factors that go in here. You got to look at everything. You can't just wrap your arm real tight, you know, such you, you do an arm curl, you should pass out because circulation. So, so it, it, well, you know, it's that- crazy. That's an interesting point, though, because as we were saying earlier in the in the, in the show, you know, we had to kind of pivot hardcore because our live classes basically went from doing dozens in a year to zero overnight. So we had to, to pivot pretty hard. And I do not disagree with you that videos don't, in, in some instances, are not adequate training for some things. But that doesn't mean that it's not useful to have the information out there because there are a lot of practitioners that may have experience with the majority of the the techniques that we talk about and just need maybe to see our perspective on how to put those things together. So, yeah, you're right. In the untrained mm-hmm. individual, they, they don't need to be using no, videos to learn how to, no, to apply not. things. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that it can be done safely, that education can be passed on safely for people that have prior training that may be similar and have a bit of an understanding about, you know, the, the mechanics for behind wise. And so we have videos on how to apply the floss. We have videos on how to apply the tape. Now our entire factor course is online because of COVID. So we wanted to get people that were interested in factor the opportunity to take the course in the comfort of their own home. And then should they choose to come to a live one? Well, now you've seen it twice and you just said you've taken the class twice and you saw things in the second class you didn't see in the first one. Mm -hmm. So it's it's like watching your, you know, a new movie for the second time. You're like, man, I didn't catch that scene in the first one. That just, that makes the, the movie that more relevant to me now because now I really understand what the plot was because I didn't see that one part. Well, the same thing happens in these classes. You, take the class online and become the class. And now that you've seen it twice, you're catching things you didn't see the first time or something makes more sense. That's true. So we feel, yeah. So we feel like the online component is really going to be beneficial to people that, you know, maybe can't travel right now or don't want to travel right now. So they can watch the videos on their own and then finally make the choice to come to a live class and go, you know, I'm glad I took the online class because now I had much more experience with it and it made the, the on or the live class that that much more meaningful because I could pick up more because I was already familiar with it. And so, and, and that and that was my next question. So we wanted to talk about actual the seminars. But like I said, I've, yeah. been to, I've seen you in person. I work with the mm-hmm. people in person, and it, it's really good to do in person. But like I said, if it's not available right now, I think online is necessary. It's actually good, especially if you have a background in some kind of you know uh, right. wellness therapy training, right. uh, what right. have you, and that way you can grasp grasp. What you're, what you're teaching, conveying over to the people so they can kind of put two and two together and also to be able to problem solve their own issues when, when you're right there in front of them. So you gotta be, you got to be knowledgeable about what, you need, what the next steps are going to be. So let's talk about the seminar. Like I said, I know only me <laughs> being in class with you, and it's, it was, it's a great, you, you work as hard, we, we have to do the work, and it's nothing like, you know, whatever. So it's explain the difference. From the, I know you said, I think you probably already did already, but the, no, it's just you have to know how. So, for people that's going to be looking, that's going to be looking for you, interested in taking your class. So, what they getting out of the class, you know, what they, how are they going to be promoted? How you know the whole system. So the 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 live classes and the online class are broken into different body segments because it makes it a bit easier to to digest. Um, we will start off with. Uh, a bit of a, a, a science or a di- what I call a didactic lecture about the science that is available for certain soft tissue techniques that we do, the science that's available for the tape, the science that's avail- available for rehab. So I've really, and uh, over the course of fact, we've tried very, very hard to demonstrate the evidence or at least the plausibility behind why we do the things that we do. So we've taken this evidence-informed approach to our treatment so that we give practitioners the, the knowledge and the comfort in knowing that there has been research or some evidence to support the things that we do. So we talk about the science, and then we jump immediately into uh, breaking down certain parts of the body. So we will do a local assessment to the cervical spine, to the shoulder, to the knee, to the hip, to the low back. 
and then show you how to tie all of those local or regional assessments into a global assessment so that you can have a better idea about what's going on with the person that's in front of you. And again, this isn't necessarily supposed to be diagnostic, but for the diagnostic practitioners that come to class, they understand where to go with that for a diagnosis. For the non-diagnostic, they still get to look at someone's movement and ask integral questions like, how does it feel when you move that? Or you can identify, hey, you don't look like you're turning your, your head as much to the right as you are to the left. Maybe we should focus a little bit of our treatment on trying to restore some of that movement. So we always go through assessments, and those assessments are what drive the treatments that we cover. So we go through tons of different soft tissue techniques through our, our five-step system. So we start off with static treatment, and usually I will describe that as somebody that's come in under an acute or an exacerbated um, condition, so they're having pain someplace. And you're going to go through our static phase of rehab using soft tissue and whatnot to kind of calm that down. So once you've calmed it down, it should make sense that we're going to want to start asking someone to move that area again. So we go from static to motion. So if somebody experiences pain or if we can provoke pain with movement, then we will treat them during that movement. So if it hurts to laterally flex your head to the right, then we're going to treat you while you do that motion. Like and once that. we've cleared that up, yeah, it, it, it's pretty common sense when you stop to think about it at the end of everything we're going to talk about here. So we go from static to motion, and then we load it. We put some resistance into it. And we gently do that, normally using TheraBands. We may use this with our hands or some other external device, but it's a gentle loading to see if we can create pain there. And if we do, we treat it under those loaded conditions. Then the next phase would be to, uh, so we go from static to motion to resistance to function. And now this starts to cover the things that they do on an everyday basis. So if they're an athlete, we're going to try to start to get them back into slow, more sport-specific or athletically appropriate movements to see if those are problems, and we're going to address those problems. And then finally at the end, we kind of lock it all in with what we call proprioception which basically just means we're trying to be as specific to that injury to that person and focus on what I like to coin the neurology of the, of the injury as possible. We want to make sure that they have, you know, fully recovered from their injury, that their CNS, their peripheral nervous system, their autonomic nervous system, or everything's online to keep them as safe and as resilient as possible. And we'll do that through, balance training. We'll do it through um, hand-eye coordination activities. We'll do it using oscillation with what we call our factor wobble bar. So they're, they're higher brain function type activities that we can make sure that they're optimally primed to ready to go back to, to uh, activity. So, you know, across our entire spectrum of static motion resistance function to proprioception, there's a systematic approach how we work with every single person. Okay, okay. Like I said, that, hey, chiropractors, I, I bump heads with some of them, but you, but you, you are, <laughs> you are a different breed. You're not the old school type of chiropractor, and and I was, I was always impressed with talking to you, even in, in the class where you carry yourself, man. You, you, you have, you have, you onto something. It's, a, it's a really good program. I, I love it. I like it. You know, I've been to it twice. To go to a third, fourth time. Uh, but but it, it's a lot of information, and sometimes you you come to a class, you see something, and and then you walk away from it, and you make mistakes. But then you go back to class yeah. again, you re-see something, and guess what? You're going to make mistakes. But it's a really good that you have the class, and also you have the online services as well. So mm-hmm. if you, you can you can revisit it. You know, you know you can revisit, take your notes, exactly and, right. and keep going from there. So you can be a student of your craft on your own time, but long as you continue to learn, He's a student of your craft, that's my, I preach that all the time. You have to be a student of your craft. You have to be. And, and, and you do. You're right. And you were saying that earlier that, and, and I, I will reinforce that you get out of it what you put into it. So, in my experience, the practitioners that are unhappy with their results, that are unhappy with their profession, it's mostly because they're not taking the time to further improve themselves. It's not, you know, people that become upset with being a, a chiropractor or 
you know, a physical therapist, a lot of times it has to do with burnout, but a lot of times it has to do with they're just not seeing the results from it that they want. And that's because they get fixed. They get locked into a certain mindset and are unwilling to change. They're unwilling to look at their own biases and say, well, I could be wrong about this. Maybe I need to shift a little bit. And that opens them up to new opportunities to serve people. So you're exactly right about that. You know, if you make mistakes, then most of us would recognize that as an opportunity for growth. Some people don't, unfortunately, (laughs) but that just means you got to, you know, keep trying, go back and review the, review the notes, review the class, go back, but keep trying because none of us get it right on the first try or even the thousandth try. But that, that experience, when we get to be the practitioners that everybody wants to come see, it's only because we were willing to fall down and get back up. And, and, and that, that is that is correct because I've took classes four or five, six times. It's just because I'm not saying I enjoy spending the money, but it's just I want to make sure that I am in tune with what needs to happen when I'm helping anyone out because everybody's different. There's a different approach to everybody. There's nobody. There's no one thing. There's no one system. That's that works exactly right. Anyone. There's a lot of different services that are out there that are valid and they should be respected. It's just which one is for you, and you have to be educated, and you have to talk to the people that know what they're talking about to, you know, to kind of guide you because, you know, and go, from, and you got to do research too as well. So, mm-hmm. so, so with that, we're going to, I want, we're going to ask about what do you see therapy going? What do you, what do you see therapy going now and why? <laughs> well, had you asked me this three months ago, I would have probably given you a different answer, but you know, based upon the current world circumstances, I definitely see a shift in, in therapy and health core, healthcare towards, towards telehealth. Um, I don't think it's going to be the answer for everything. And I will certainly never be a proponent or an up, I will never be in support of or a proponent of entirely doing away with face-to-face visits. But I can now see that in some cer- certain circumstances, it would be better for the practitioner and for the patient. But um, so I see telehealth becoming a more significant component, but in my time in professional education and also as a practitioner, <clears throat> the research has changed dramatically. So I, I see a lot more tech being inserted into um, into rehabilitation, you know, from the use of, of um, acoustic wave therapy and lasers and cryo chambers. I mean, we, we've seen a lot of things come and go, but there are, I think there are going to be some trends that we start to see hang out a little bit more. Um, but I certainly see, and this is the most important trend I have seen, and it's staying locked in, is we're starting to get away from the more passive style of treatment mm-hmm. and focusing a lot more on the exercise yeah. and a lot more on the individual person, yeah. trying to find ways to make them more in tuned to their environment and want to go out and exercise uh, more as a social construct than necessarily as, as um, not just as a health construct. So I see rehab becoming much more patient oriented and focused, not just from a condition basis, but from a whole person uh, approach. I agree with you 1 billion percent because it makes them accountable what's going on. But I know one thing is never going away. Touch is all we have. Touch is com- connection to people, and touch is what able to help a person understand what's going on with their body. And That's exactly right. I don't think it's never go away. So, with that said, I do appreciate you being here. I want you before you go. I want you to tell the audience everything they need to know about your <laughs> online course. Uh, I think you. I think you. Are you coming here to Dallas? Yeah, yeah. We've got a class, I believe, coming up in the next month or so. So yeah, we're, we're going to be up there shortly. Okay. So give my audience whatever mm-hmm. they need, whatever they need to know to, to make an informed decision. Yeah, great. I appreciate it. So we've, we've got a couple of different uh, venues. First of all, we've got several different classes that we're rolling out. So the class that we've been talking about is our main factor, F-A-K-T-R, factor course. Uh, it's a 12-hour course that we've been discussing. We also have a factor peripheral nerve entrapment course which is an adjunct uh, to that original factor course where we cover the assessment and treatment of peripheral nerve conditions and trapments. 
we also have another course called Rehab to Fitness, where we teach practitioners how to transition patients or clients from a rehabilitation program into a lifestyle uh, fitness program. So we've got several different courses, several other online courses um, coming up as well. So there's, there's really a lot of learning capability with, with what we've got um, to offer. The way that you can go learn about the courses, uh, there's a couple of different websites. Uh, there's Factor, that's F-A-K-T-R hyphen store.com, Factor hyphen store.com. Uh, you can get prices, the cities we're coming to. Uh, as the world starts to reopen, we're going to start relaunching some of our, our classes throughout the United States. And uh, we've even got classes coming up in, in Europe and Australia. Um, you can also learn about the classes at sports-seminars.com. Uh, the, the, the main parent company is Southeast Sports Seminars. You can also find us on on Facebook, um, we have a Factor website. You can find me at uh, Dr. Todd Riddle on Facebook or Doc Todd 14 on Instagram. I'm constantly posting stuff relevant to therapy there. So we, we've tried to make ourselves as visible as possible, and it should not be difficult to find us. Okay. Well, like I said, uh, I'm really excited about the information you shared today, and I know something in here is going to help someone out. And, and if it's not for you, Pass on to somebody else that, that want to use it. <laughs> that can Absolutely. Use it and and no, don't be a hater. Be a congratulator. So uh, always <laughs> be a team player. But, uh, you know, with that said, man, I really appreciate you taking your time out to speak with us. Uh, where we're here making a stretching difference, and I know you are making a difference, and I want to commend you on what you're doing for the community. You're helping people uh, be able to be an activist to, to help themselves, to help others. And we do, and I do, appreciate you and your and you with your skill set i i thank you and as you know i always enjoy talking to you whenever we get to the chance to be near each other so i, I appreciate this opportunity all right then thank you sir until next time people we're making a stretching difference bye <laughs>